We're in a series called Distractions, and uh, what we're talking about is there are a lot of things in our lives, uh, regrets, uh, appetites, outrage, things of that nature, that will distract us if we allow our attention to get focused on them. We will miss out on a lot of great things that Jesus would have for us. We will miss out on a deeper relationship with God. So we've been just ticking off some of these distractions. And next week is going to be a great week for Mother's Day. We really do encourage you to be here and to invite somebody because we're going to be talking about one of the major distractions that moms have, but really all of us have. And so uh, get here if if you can do that. Um, But I had a, I, I, in high school I played football, okay, and, and, and not, not like, you know, most guys brag about playing football. I played for a very, very small school, so they literally, like, half of the team was, like, different genders. But um, the, at one point, though, uh, and this is kind of fun, fun fact, at one point I was the number three running back in Southern California. Now let me explain. Uh, our season started early than everyone else's. And, and so there was literally like just four teams. And then once the season actually started for real football teams, uh, I lost that title uh, in the very first game. But, um, but we had this, this friend on the team. His name was Brad. That wasn't his real name. Uh, his real name's Scott. But uh, I'll, I'll never get tired of that joke ever. Um, but his, it, we're going to call him Brad. And uh, he was super quiet, but he was a really good football player. He did whatever the coach wanted. And... Um, and was just a solid role player. I mean, he would be the kind of guy that you wouldn't, he wouldn't do something super special and he would never mess up. He was just, he, he just did his job. And so that was one friend I had in high school. The other, the other friend was really more of Lisa's friend because uh, we went to high school together. She, th- th- this girl, we'll call her Cindy, she um, uh, was miss everything, okay? Like, you know, the, the cheerleader, most likely to be awesome, you know, just, just one of the, the kind of the campus um, girl who knows everybody and is really lighthearted or, or whatever. Well, about 10 years after we graduated from high school, um, Brad was in the park and Cindy saw him and was like, hey, Brad, what's going on? And he's like, Cindy, what, you know, what are you doing here? Oh, you know, this is where, this is the park. It's right by my office, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so they, they talk, and no, no big deal, and, and that was it. That was the conversation. And about two weeks later, um, Cindy's in the grocery store, and there's Brad in the same aisle. I don't know, milk or cheese or whatever. He's in the aisle, and, and he's like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing here? This is where I shop, and this is where I, you know... Um, you know, shop. I don't know. I didn't really have anything else to say other than shop because that's what you do at the store. Anyway, uh, so they're talking and great. It's good to, good to see you. And just uh, about a week later, she is getting her hair done and she walks outside and oh my gosh, there's, there's Brad on the street outside of where she gets her hair done. What a, what a coincidence, right? The next time she saw Brad, Brad had broken into her house and was attacking her husband. Now, you say, he's psycho, right? There must be something wrong with his brain. She had to beat him off, and they had to subdue him until the police came. And so many of us, myself included, would think, oh, he has a mental disorder. He does. He has the same mental disorder all of us have. It's called fantasy. And it's the distraction I want to talk to you about this morning. And if you think that... He's crazy, but we can manage it. You are wrong. 
It's just that our fantasy hasn't become our reality yet. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about a man in the Bible. It's a very famous section of Scripture. Um, It's a very famous story. I mean, even if you don't follow the Bible much, you will know this story. And this guy, this particular man, had everything you could want. He, 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 He had fame, okay? He had power. He had money. He had property. He had everything you and I would think if, if we get into our fantasies, uh, we'd think we'd want to get. If you, if you have a fantasy for another wife, he had several of those. <laughs> if you have a fantasy for something like a really nice car, he had the equivalent of that. Really nice chariot, you know, gold, you know, rolling on like 22s or whatever. I mean, he, he, he had, all, he had all, all that stuff. If you think of money, if you think of food, if you think of whatever. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you about one of the ways my mind gets distracted by fantasy and so that you can judge me during the week. And then, um, uh, but it'll give you some insight to how this works. And this happened to me just about a week ago. Um, I was at the doctor's office and uh, there was a magazine there. It was either Architectural Digest or like... LA Weekly or something. I, I don't know what it was. But, but in there, it said, look inside of Jennifer Aniston's house. Now, before you think I'm psycho, okay, let me explain, okay. One of the problems I've had ever since I was little uh, and, and still struggle with is I will fantasize about being in comfort, about being safe. It just happens to have something to do with my childhood, okay, that I want to be safe. And so I can drive into a wealthy neighborhood and, and just look at a house and be like, wow, that would be awesome to live there. It's not the house. It's not that I want 12-foot ceilings and I only have 8-foot ceilings. It's that that represents something to me. And so I was flipping through the magazine and uh, I was looking at Jennifer Aniston's house, and I caught myself, because I'm in this series uh, of distractions, being distracted. And so I really wanted to stop and analyze what was happening in my brain, because what I was picturing was me and Lisa, my fantasy still has my wife in it, okay, so be comforted of that, not, not Jennifer Aniston. Uh, um, <laughs> And so, so we're, on her, we're like in the patio looking out over like the hills and we're just sitting there and we're having a cup of coffee or whatever. And, and then I'd, I'd think about, they show a picture of her kitchen that spills out into the, and I picture all, all of my friends being there and we're just having a party and all this. And I, I picture, this is the sickest part of my uh, fantasy. I picture driving up the driveway and the lights of the driveway lighting up as my car comes up. I just, <laughs> right? I don't know. So, so I began to analyze this stuff. Like, what, what's going on in my brain? Well, we'll get to my fantasy at the end, but I just wanted to leave you with that. I just noticed that there was something happening in me that needed to be controlled, that needed to be analyzed, that needed to be brought to the Lord. And so I want to start with my point uh, that we'll be hitting on uh, all morning long. God wants us to leave fantasy and meet him in reality. God wants us to leave fantasy and to meet him in reality your reality right now where you are you might have a fantasy of getting married someday you might be single and the way you think about it and the way you think about him or her and the house and the picket fence and the 
one and a half dogs and the three and a half kids and however all that yet works statistically as you think about that god 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 wants you to leave that and meet him in reality as you think about the way your marriage is now and if only he would and if only she would and why didn't i and why didn't she and all this kind of stuff god wants you to leave that fantasy and meet him in reality you can think about winning the lottery and what you do and of course you'd tithe first and foremost right i mean and all that he wants you to leave that and meet him in your financial reality right now. Well, we're going to look at a guy who didn't do that. He actually embraced his fantasy. And he had the resources and the power and the placement to be able to act upon his fantasy. And if you think he has a brain disorder like we think Brad does, I would just warn us all, we all have a brain disorder called fantasy. So we're in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, In the springtime, we're talking about David. At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Now, when you come to uh, something like this particular passage, the Bible wants you to recognize things. The, The Bible doesn't want you to just breeze through it. Why would it say, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab because the Bible wants you to ask the question, why didn't David go off to war? If that's what kings do, if that's what you're supposed to do as a king, why did David send Joab? Maybe the war wasn't a big deal. Maybe it was just a little tiny war and David wanted to do the big wars. Maybe it was, but but this is the time when kings are supposed to go somewhere and he doesn't go. Here's one of the points I'd like you to, if you're writing this down or figuring it out, just put it in the back of your mind. The first problem with fantasy is when our minds are idle. When we are idle. When we're sitting in a doctor's office. Or we're sitting at home. Or we're, and we would call this uh, daydreaming. We'd call it... Um, Uh, vision casting, maybe, if you want to get. uh, It's just when we're alone in our minds trying to just figure out. It it starts with this. Wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be nice if? I wonder. This is how it starts. And this is how it starts for David. While he's supposed to be at war, while he's supposed to be leading, while he's supposed to be doing king stuff, instead, he stays home. Why would he do that? Well, the Bible goes on to verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace because, you know, hey, you're going to just get up and walk around the roof. Why not? From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. I don't want to read too much into the Bible, okay? Um, But I know myself well enough And I know most of you well enough to know that the second problem you have and I have with fantasy is our minds are idle. And then we just begin to wander with our feet. So you might find yourself, I don't know, flipping through a magazine. You might find yourself just showing up. And this is the way it looks like. Um, Hey, honey, I, I know we hadn't really talked about kids yet, but I was at Babies R Us. And I noticed, or I know we ha- we've talked a little bit about buying a house, but I got these pamphlets, you know, we just start this process of, 
hmm, I think this is exactly what was going on with David. I think this one evening the Bible talks about is one evening out of many evenings. David kind of wandered around and said, I wonder what I'm going to see tonight. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm reading too much into the Bible. Maybe I just don't trust people uh, very well. But this is what happens. I just want to make one little point. Because uh, some scholars and some people who've commented on this particular passage begin to say things like, what was, what was uh, Bathsheba doing outside at that time? She shouldn't have been out there. She shouldn't have been bathing. She shouldn't have been. Can, can we just, in our particular church expression, stop blaming women for our problems, okay? If you have a fantasy, whether it's women, shoes, the internet, whatever, stop blaming the internet. If, if, if you have a problem with outrage with the government, stop blaming the government. Stop blaming capitalism. Own it. Okay? We, and so I, I'm sorry. This is just something that I was so outraged <laughs> this week reading some of the commentary on this particular scripture. I just wanted to make this clear. The Bible doesn't say anything about this being Bathsheba's fault. You have a person in power who begins to abuse it. So, sorry for that. It was a little rant on my part, but I just wanted to say that. The woman was very beautiful. It was not her fault for being beautiful, okay? All right, sorry. Don't, you don't need to clap. It's just, uh, 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 well, clap because I'll probably get a, a number of emails for that one. So here's what happens. David sees her, and I, think, I don't think this is the, the first time, to be honest. Uh, and it might not have been Bathsheba. There might have been other things that he was wandering around the roof of his palace for. So he goes to the next step. He sent someone to find out about her. And the man says, she's Bathsheba. Now watch the language the Bible uses. See, David's fantasy and all of our fantasies, it doesn't matter what they are, new husband, new wife, marriage, kids, whatever, that we let our minds be distracted from God and our reality. They objectify the the, the thing that we're, we're, we're fantasizing about. And watch what the Bible does. The Bible basically says this, she's Bathsheba. Somebody's daughter and somebody's wife. Like the Bible says, listen, this fantasy of yours, you want it to go down this really narrow path, but it won't. It can't. It's fantasy. And the thing about fantasy, about all of our fantasies, no matter what they are, or maybe we'll call them distractions or fascinations or bents, if you will, is that God's not there. God is not in our fantasies. God is in our reality. And so when we leave our reality and start going into fantasy, we're all alone because God's not there. He's wooing us back to reality, back to where we are. So he says, she's Bathsheba. You almost want to put in parentheses, dummy, because if you you read the Bible enough, you'll realize that David knows both these guys Knew him before this even happened. They were, uh, Iliam was one of his mighty men. The daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now David could have stopped right there. David could have left his fantasy and ha- come back into his reality. Like there was a time, there was a, there was a moment where this whole story would have been fine. It, you, you could almost write the next verse. And David went before the Lord and he said, Lord God, you know, help me in this, uh, bless their home, like whatever. I mean, some, something, but that's not what happens. 
Because this fantasy, as we feed our fantasies, they grow. They must be fed, and so we feed them. And we do this all the time. Just We constantly rehearse something in our mind. Here's a way a fantasy might work. If you're in school, and there's somebody bothering you in school, like so, for the kids in there. And so you have this fantasy, or at least I did when I was in school, about the time when you stand up for yourself and what you'd say, and you have it rehearsed, and you'd stand in front of them. And you'd say what you wanted to say, and they would be crestfallen and crushed, and they would fall on their knees and say, why? Why did I ever bother you like that? You know, and you can, or, they'd, or everyone would laugh, and they'd get theirs. I mean, this is just how it goes. And it's fed, and it's fed, and it's fed, and it grows. And here's what happened with David. David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. And his fantasy actually became his reality. And when that happens, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. Now, it would have been fantastic, maybe, if that was the end of the story. David wanted Bathsheba. He used his power and his influence and his authority to get her, okay, to take advantage of, of his place of power. And so, and he has sex with her, and that was the fantasy, and it's all over. Except for the next verse says this, and this is the problem. Because our fantasies are typically so narrow, right? I mean, you think about getting all those new shoes or whatever it is or the car and this or that or the boy or the girl or what have you. And, and we kind of just sit in this narrow slice of fantasy. But when it becomes reality, it, all of the realization of the weight of what is actually happening hits. So it'd be great if it was just they got together. I mean, I, I kind of wrote some of the ways this could have gone fine for him. The woman conceived and sent worth to David saying, congrats, it's a boy. <laughs> like, this is so great. We get to start a life together with this, with this you know, our, our son. Isn't this fantastic? Or the woman texted David saying, hashtag parents. Like, we're, <laughs> like, like, we're, like, that would be great. Oh my gosh, you're at, you're at work and you're like, whoa, everybody, guess what? You know, uh, Oh, shoot. I was supposed to delete this one. Okay, I'm going to go right past it. Don't look at it, okay? Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Here's what she says. Here's the reality. I'm pregnant. Here's the reality. Your fantasy just became reality. Sometimes this happens in our, in our finances, right? We have all these things we want. We have all these different... Uh, things that we think are going to make us happy, all the ways that we think, if, if I have this lifestyle, my parents will finally be proud, or my, my brother-in-law will finally see that I'm more successful than him, all right? And then you get that visa bill, and your fantasy just became reality. And this is what happens with David. I'm pregnant. Now, at this point, David can still back the truck up, now, he can't, there's some things he can't undo, okay? There's some things he can't obviously undo. But he can at least come clean. He could at least say, you know what? This has gone far enough. And some of us in this room are in this place right now. You're stuck in this thing of there's already some consequences. But God is still in reality going, just meet me here. Just meet me here. And David could have done that. He could have met God in this right now. But he chooses not to. And so he sends word to Bathsheba's husband. Now, I want you to just get... Sometimes we tell these stories and we just blow past the reality of what is really happening here. 
he sends word to Joab. Because remember, Bathsheba wasn't just a bathing beauty. She was somebody's daughter and somebody's wife. And so when that fantasy meets reality, there's some real consequences. And so he calls, sends word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab has no idea why, and so he sends him to David. And this is just, I just like to sometimes think about how this actually took place. When Uriah came to him, David asked him, and I don't know if this happened like in David's living room or one of the things, but it's like, here's Uriah. Okay. The husband of the woman that you had sex with in one chair, and you're in the other chair. Your fantasy is dead set right in the middle of your reality right now. And here's what David does. Um, so how's Joab? <laughs> how, how, you know, and Uriah's probably like, uh, fine. Um, he's in a war right now, so there's that, you know. And then David goes on, and how are the men doing? You know, they're doing fine, except they're being shot with arrows. But other than that, I think everybody's pretty upbeat. And David says, well, how's the war going? I was just wondering, well, good. It's a war. So, you know, it's, it is a war. I mean, what is David doing? He's just having this dumb conversation. Because his fantasy has spun out of control. Like, it's right here. And so he, he asks him these questions. And so he, his big plan is, I'll take Uriah, I'll take him off the battlefield, I'll send him home, and, you know, I don't know, I, when two people really love each other, you know, it's kind of, like, we'll let nature take its course. Well, Uriah doesn't do that. Uriah stays in the palace with the servants, and his thinking is, and the way he talks to David is, hey, all my buddies are out there in battle, I'm not going to go home. That, that's not right. So you can imagine how David's feeling. It's like, well, you know, right and wrong are really hard to figure out. You know, he's, he's going through this. So David, uh, David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked, Uriah, haven't you just come in from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And they have this other conversation. He tries again. David tries again. David brings him into the palace, gets him all cleaned up, gets him drunk, and figures, well, in this case, he's going to go home for sure, right? So he doesn't go home. Uriah never goes home. At this point, David could come clean with his fantasy and say, you know what? Enough is enough. He could have met God right then. Now, he'd have some explaining to do, and he would have some damage. But it would be nothing like what comes next. So in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Now, watch how sick this has become, okay? And again, I, I know we talk about David, and he's a man after God's own heart, but I just want you to catch where he's at in the middle of the realization that his distraction of a fantasy has now become his reality. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He sends Uriah's death sentence with Uriah. So Uriah, the faithful messenger, takes this scroll that would be sealed with David's ring in wax so that it could not be opened, and he hands it to Joab, essentially saying, you're supposed to kill me now, but Uriah has no idea. He wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Uriah, uh, Joab, who's leading the army, you don't 
not do what the king asked you to do in this particular culture, right? There was no whistleblowers at the, you know, at the time. He didn't call CNN and say, I have the letter right here and I just want everybody to see it. You don't do that. You do what is told. And that's what Joab does. So when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, watch this. Not only did Uriah die, but some of the men in David's army fell. So this fantasy, which started probably earlier than that night when he was walking on his roof, is now costing people their lives. I took the liberty of writing my own verse, uh, encapsulating everything we've just read. I I, I took the liberty of putting it into one verse. Don't memorize it because it's not scripture. Uh, One evening... David got up from his bed and a bunch of innocent people died. (laughs) Now, How in the world do you get from meeting someone in a park to breaking into their home and attacking their husband? How do you get from getting up from your couch to having a bunch of people die? You feed the fantasy. You keep feeding it. You keep thinking about it. You keep acting on it. You keep talking about it. You keep flirting with it. You keep seeing, well, I'm just going to see. I'm just going to check. I'm just going to try. I'm just going to, because here's the thing. In that process, you still feel like you're in control. (laughs) Until one day you feed that fantasy too much and you are out of control. And it's in control of you. And this is what happened to David. You have a man who got up from his bed, or in some um, translations, his couch, and now a bunch of innocent people have died, and you have a kid. Because we didn't invite God into our reality, and we chased a fantasy. God wants us to leave fantasy and meet him in reality. So... For me, I was talking about this house um, that I wanted in Beverly Hills. And I'm, I still might buy it someday, so don't judge me if I do. <laughs> but, but let's just take my fantasy and let's just go and bring it into my current reality, shall we? I mean, together? Wouldn't that be fun? Okay. So here I am. I just bought a house in Beverly Hills. And uh, so one of the things I was thinking about was um, being on the, on the deck with my w- wife, you know, on the, on the looking out over the thing. Now, that's a great part of the fantasy, actually. It's great. I, think, I could think about that all the time. But then I, let's take the one of where, but we have to have people over. We're not just going to sit there by ourselves. Um, so let's invite some neighbors. I don't want to be around a bunch of rich people. Like, I don't, I don't think I'd like any of those neighbors. Okay, erase the neighbor part of my fantasy, uh, and let's get my, my friends. Like, let's get people from the church. Like, oh, that'll look really good. We'll have people from the church go to the pastor's multi-million dollar home, right? And, you know, so, so you're like, okay, 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 okay. Okay, so you don't want to be a pastor? Like, no, of course I want to be a pastor. Like, this is my calling. It's what I love. Okay, so you want to be a pastor in Beverly Hills? Oh, no, I don't want to be a pastor in Beverly Hills. Like, like well, well how, you know, so you're just like, well, how are you going to make this work? And, and you're, you're sitting there going, well, I want to be a, a pastor in Garden Grove at, at, at uh, what's the name of our church? Living Spring. And, and, and so, 
And so you get into this whole thing, and it's like, well, why don't we invite Living Spring people to the Beverly Hills home? It's like, no, no, that, that, that's not fair. Your pastor shouldn't be in a multi-million dollar home, and everybody else is just normal. Like, see what happens? You, it just goes crazy. Now, I still want the driveway with the light-up lights, because I thought, you know, I'm going to put that in my driveway, even in, even in Cyprus. So, um, <laughs> but you see what happens? When you begin to follow your fantasy through, when you begin to go, well, that can't fit in my current reality. The Lord is here going, hello, I'm in your reality right now. What is it you want in that fantasy? I will provide it for you, but probably not the way you're fantasizing about. You want to feel comfort? You look at that house and think that's safe? Guess what? Your heavenly father says, you are safe. Because I'm your heavenly father. You have a certain need for something or someone or whatever, you bring it to your heavenly father. And guess what? He'll fulfill that need. As a matter of fact, one of the scariest verses in this story, after all this happens, and David kills a bunch of people and has a kid, is this verse. 2 Samuel 12.1, The Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord showed up. In David's reality, but he had already included this fantasy. And now the reason David was showing up was to discipline. Uh, the reason Nathan showed up was to discipline David. That God said, this is enough. And you know what? The interesting language, we don't have time to get into it. As a matter of fact, there's a whole other section of scripture that we don't have time to get into, but we'll, we'll, we're going to extend this series one more week because it's just so fantastic. But one of the things that uh, God has a problem with David. And, and what happens is Nathan comes to David and he says, I want to tell you a story about a man who, had, who was very, very wealthy. And he had a ton of sheep. And, and, and uh, a time came when he wanted to have a party for one of his neighbors. And so instead of going to his sheep, he went to uh, one of the people on his property. He went to their house. They only had one sheep. It was a little lamb. And they loved that lamb, and they cared for that lamb, and they'd bring it into the house, Nathan told this story. They'd bring it into the house, and it would even sleep with them, and they named it, and, and it was just cherished by the whole family. And this rich guy comes, and instead of taking one of his sheep, he had tons of them, he grabs this family sheep, this poor family sheep, and he slaughters it, and he eats it. And David was so outraged, he said, find me that man. So there can be justice. And Nathan looks at David and goes, you're that man. It's you. And he begins to tell David what the consequence of bringing his fantasy into reality was. That it would cost him the the life of that child. And that his family would be in disunity for generations. And this is exactly what happened. Now we can say, boy, that seems kind of harsh. But this is what happens all the time when we don't leave our fantasy and meet God in our reality. We begin chasing after things that don't exist, a retirement that will never happen the way you want it to, a marriage that will not be the way you fantasize, a lifestyle, pick whatever it is, an education, whatever it is that you're chasing in fantasy, but you're rolling your mind over and over and over again. It's not going to happen. Meet God in reality. And as your life begins to move, maybe, maybe God has that plan for you, but it will look 
entirely different because God is not in fantasy. He's in our reality. We're, uh, we have some uh, the awesome opportunity to take communion, and it's a wonderful uh, morning to take communion because what communion does is it, it locks us into reality. We do this in remembrance of what really happened. It's a reminder that that thing we're chasing can be found in Christ. That because Christ died on the cross, because we, his body was crushed is what the language that is used for communion, and because his blood was spilled, we have the, the wonderful opportunity to meet God in our reality. And listen, I am not trying to... Um, minimize some of the realities that we're in because some of them are very, very difficult right now. So I'm not trying to make them small or, you know, if you're single and, you're, and you really want to get married, that's a really big deal. If you're trying to have kids, that's a really big deal. If you're out of work, that's a really big deal. What I'm merely saying is that when we take communion, we're reminded that we have somebody, the go-between, the mediator, who gives us access to our Heavenly Father that will meet us in it right now, whatever it is. And so um, if the ushers would come forward, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion by having two lines. And uh, we have quite a bit of time for this. Um, and so don't be rushed. My, my, my prayer is this, that as you be, before you take communion, the Bible says um, to first prepare your heart before you take communion. And so God's going to deal with us in all different ways. But I, I would ask you to think about last week, maybe the last few months, and think about what were some of the things that were playing in your mind that you kind of know you probably shouldn't have been spending that much time with that, that it is a fantasy. And that you would take communion and, and, and say, Lord, you didn't live in fantasy. I mean, it would be nice for Jesus to think about not dying. Like, you know, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if I could just go back to my Heavenly Father? He was in reality all the time with His Heavenly Father. And so, whatever that looks like for you. And so, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it was a Passover, and He's with His disciples. And it's a really sweet time. You can read about it in John. And um, Jesus had washed their feet. He had just kind of shown them that their fantasy of who he was going to be as Messiah, where he comes in on a horse and he leads Israel to wipe out Rome, it was fantasy. Communion is the reminder that we live in reality. And so he says to them, look, I'm going to go die. It has to be this way. And so he took the bread and after he had given thanks and he had broken it, he gave it to them. And that's what these crackers represent, his body, broken for you. And he says, take and eat. When you do this, remember me. Remember the reality of what it's really like to follow me. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood which has been poured out for the remission of your sins. Which is the full reality of who we are as human. Whenever you take this, remember me. And so, um, as Adjua uh, plays or... Um, She's not going to read a poem this time because we're having communion. But as she plays, um, when you're ready, and we invite everybody who wants to take part in communion to take part in communion, 
you just come up and grab it. You can take it back to your seat. Some people will kneel along the stage um, and just do business with God there, but you just take it, and when you're ready, just take communion on your own. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, there are so many things we want. There are so many ways we want our lives to go. There are so many things we want for our kids and for our relatives and for the people all around us. But Lord, as you pray, not our will, but your will be done. Lord, we invite you into the reality of what our lives look like now. Some of us, we have already stepped a bit too far into the fantasy and now it's become our reality and we have pieces to pick up. Lord God, would you meet us in that reality? Some of us are just at that decision-making point of, of acting on something we'd been dwelling on, rehearsing for a long time. Lord God, I pray you would meet us in that reality. You would stop us from getting up out of the bed or off the couch or into the car or onto our computer. You would stop us. You would meet us in our reality. Lord Jesus, I pray for that strength. We thank you that you have died for us, that we could have victory over these things and that you are sufficient for us to meet us in all of our needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.